I'm Mindy Peterson, and this is Enhanced Life with Music, a holistic look at music's effect on our everyday lives. I have with me today, for only the second time in the show's history, a repeat guest. (laughs) This guest's first appearance was hugely popular, and I'm thrilled she's returned to talk about a related topic. Back in August of 2020, in episode 56, Anna Bond from Song Trust gave us a crash course in the world of music publishing and royalties, the money songwriters make when we listen to music they wrote, whether the music is streamed, sold in CD form, played in a restaurant, played on TV. But what about the actual performer? They're often the ones with the big name and face recognition, like Elton John or Rihanna. But if someone else wrote the songs they're singing, they're not earning publishing royalties from their own performances. And if listeners are listening to this and saying, wait, what? Go back and listen to episode 56. Anna gives a really great explanation of how those music publishing royalties work. But how do the artists themselves get paid for their performances? Anna is incredibly adept at translating a fascinating and complicated industry into layperson's terms. Anna is the Senior Director of Global Business Development for SongTrust. SongTrust is the world's largest global royalty collection service. It helps artists know and access what they're owed. Welcome back to Enhanced Life with Music, Anna. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be a rare repeat guest. (laughs) You are. Anna, we're focusing today on the performing artists piece of the pie, how they get paid for their musical performances. And it seems like the best example to use in understanding how this works is the example of a cover album. So if we use the example of a Weezer cover album, which is all cover songs written by other people, those original songwriters, not Weezer, get all the publishing royalties associated with the band playing these songs. Let's talk about the income streams that are available to the performers themselves. First of all, how are bands and artists paid by record labels for recording an album in the first place? So um, I come from, so I'm, I'm in publishing now, but I, I spent 15 years on the record label side uh, prior to that. So the master and publishing sides are friends, but they often misunderstand each other. So I'm very lucky <laughs> to have, you know, some information on both ends. So When you think of a pie and you think of a covers album and you think of a piece of the pie that goes to songwriters and the piece of the pie that goes to the performing artist, if the performing artist is a superstar like a Weezer, um, their piece of the pie is much bigger. Um, It's like more like the piece of the pie that's left over after you cut yourself a slice, even if it's a very generous, you know, day after Thanksgiving breakfast slice. And that's because Um, they have more negotiating power with the record label? There are just more royalties due to uh, performing artists and specifically recording artists in this case. If we're talking about, you know, recorded music, whether it's being streamed, whether it's being sold in CD, vinyl, download mm-hmm. form, those deals for, for music recordings are between the, the performing recording artist, in this case Weezer, uh-huh. and the record label. The songwriters are a separate they're they're a separate consideration when it comes to this type of arrangement now there will definitely be a little bit of uh overlap in some cases um you know in some cases record labels don't want you to to 
do an entire album of covers and if they have to pay out um you know publishing royalties more than a certain amount they're gonna take it out of your advance it gets very complex Mm -hmm. and 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 recoupments involved but generally with record labels when you're talking about a major or or you know a, a high profile artist you're often going to receive a percentage of you know retail price of streaming streaming revenue as the artist Um, And depending on how popular you are, depending on your leverage, you get a higher percentage. And generally, that percentage is going to be after recoupment of costs. Now, record labels, if you think about like a 20-page record contract, a lot of those pages, in addition to all of the kind of legalese about indemnification and stuff like that, that's going to be a lot of it. But a lot of it is going to be about what is recoupable. Mm. And that's basically like, if your record label hires a radio promoter and they spend $100,000 promoting your single to radio, um, you, they aren't going to be entirely responsible for that um, if you do end up making over $100,000 of royalties. Some or all of that money is going to be paid back to the label before you, uh, before you get paid. And, you know, oh, okay. in some cases that's a bad deal. But in some cases, it's a great deal because, you know, having a radio hit, having an amazing press campaign, having an incredible like advertising campaign can go beyond record sales in how it enhances an artist's career. Mm. So it's not really cut and dry. Um, And the first thing that's going to be recouped is your advance. If you are paid, say, $10,000, $1 million dollars. For recording advance to secure the rights for your album or maybe a few albums or an album and a few options. Um, that's going to be the first thing that's recouped out of your royalties. Then those additional recoupable costs and then you'll get your percentage um, of, of you know what used to be the retail price or the wholesale price but is now more a percentage of streaming revenue since streaming is the main way that all of this happens. Oh. Um, and you notice I mentioned publishing royalties as we talked about before, there is that piece of physical sales and of streaming sales that goes to the songwriter. That's the mechanical royalty. There's a, an arcane uh, inclusion in a lot of record contracts, which actually Rivers Cuomo of Weezer, so it's funny you mentioned him, uh, <laughs> has, has talked about publicly where for whatever reason, the contract says we're only going to pay mechanical royalties up to 10 songs and often it's only going to be, you know, 80% of the statutory rate or some, some percentage that isn't 100%. So Weezer's original few albums were only 10 songs long for that reason. And Rivers oh, Cuomo yeah. said that. So you'll think, okay, well, what if someone releases a 15-song album of covers? The record label doesn't have a deal with them as a songwriter, so they will have to pay mm. the full statutory mechanical rate for all 15 songs um, to those songwriters. Yeah, now I mean, this, this one revenue stream alone could yes. just be incredibly complex, obviously. Wow. Oh, definitely. And it's <laughs> even more complex when streaming comes into the equation, because whereas once record labels used to pay those mechanical royalties, now the digital service providers, which is Apple Music, Spotify, Tidal, you know, anyone like that, mm-hmm. they pay them directly to songwriters. And actually, um, you know, just a few days ago in the U.S., the Mechanical Licensing uh, Collective just launched and their entire remit is actually to uh, put in one place and standardize and make transparent 
the availability of uh, mechanical licenses to DSPs and ensure that all riders are able to access their royalties and their uh, they do those blanket licenses. So there's no more, there's a lot less uh, complexity when it comes to blanket mechanical licenses getting paid from DSPs. Um, it's, DSP it's pretty is exciting. What? That's like a digital service provider. Sorry. Ah, okay. Publishing is all acronyms. Yep. <laughs> you got to stop me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so digital service providers, and that's like your Spotify, your streaming services uh-huh. for the most parts. Um, well, but that yeah, the like me- a, a move in the right direction to increase Absolutely. the transparency there. Absolutely. And it, it, it was created as part of the Music Modernization Act. And so for the U.S., any stream that occurs in the U.S., uh, U.S. songwriters can get access to their mechanical royalties uncommissioned um, using the MLC's portal, you know, once that's fully active and the DSPs are actually paying for it. That was part of the Music mm. Modernization Act to say you guys have to pay for this, which is oh, why okay. there's there's no additional commi- commission for their for the royalties they collect. So the idea is really like, let's make things more transparent. Let's make things more accessible uh-huh. and make sure that those royalties aren't getting, uh, you know, sucked away into kind of the black box like we talked about last time and being reallocated and not paid out to the folks. Well, and more equitable for the people who are actually creating and making the music to begin with. Exactly, exactly. you mentioned the master side and the publishing side, Mm -hmm. and I think you've also used the word composition side. The composition side and publishing side are one and the same, is that right? Yes, I mean, mostly. There is the, the composition is everything to do with the original song, right? And the, the master side is everything to do with a recording, a specific recording of an original song. So a good way to think of that is you have, you know, the original artist singing the song. You have someone else recording that song. You have perhaps a live album that okay. also includes the same song. Those are three different masters, but they're the same composition. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay, so one revenue stream that can become extremely complex is mm-hmm. the the payment by the record label to the recording artist, the the recording band. Another revenue stream is live performances in concert, which we're all missing right now. So much. (laughs) Uh, So talk to us about what kind of ticket sale money, merchandise sales, how much of that goes to Weezer if they're the one performing the concert and how much of that is going elsewhere, whether it's the the songwriter or, or someone else? So when it comes to uh, a tour, you get to a point if you're if you're a, an artist the size of Weezer, touring is quite lucrative because at the end of the day, you're going to have you know advantageous deals with the venues mm-hmm. um, or you know the touring company that is booking it. And um, sometimes superstars will even receive like advances on tours from promotion companies. That's not standard, but again, if you're if you're a superstar, yeah, you, they want you I mean, there. Superstars, they get what they want. <laughs> um, so yeah, you're going to receive. You know, each venue is going to do. You'll have a deal where it's you get X percentage of the ticket sales, um, and you know you'll get the majority of your merch sales the venue's going to take some as well and you're going to have to pay out all your people and mm-hmm. if you have a big pyrotechnic show or some other expensive stagecraft mm-hmm. you're going to have to pay for that as well um you know you will hear about artists who are so committed to their vision for their stage show that even you know a huge tour ends up not very lucrative because mm-hmm. they spent 
you know, almost all of their potential earnings on dancers and and mm-hmm. and beautiful lights and and costumes which okay. is a wonderful thing to experience and i, sure. I can't argue with it <laughs> but um but yeah as the performing artist um they are really the ones who are benefiting primarily from from live touring income and now to go back to kind of publishing there is um it's called per, it's called performance royalties Performance royalties are earned by the songwriters mm-hmm. um, when their song is performed by an artist live. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are, you know, processed the same way by the same people as a radio performance, um, you know, a streaming royalty. There's a performance royalty with streaming. So there is a, a piece of the pie for for the songwriter, but it's very small compared to, you know, the potential for ticket sales. Well, and, and the money that goes to the songwriters, that is coming out of ticket sales, right? It's paid by the PROs, the performing rights organizations. And generally, uh, that's going to come out of, uh, they're, they're going to have a relationship with the venue and it's going to depend on the venue's capacity and their bookings. And um, so it's not a percentage of ticket sales. It's it's a much more complex math equation. Let's just put it of that course. way. And it's <laughs> it'll depend on, you know, when every country has kind of different standards, for example, in the U.S., uh, it's it's less lucrative for smaller acts when it comes to songwriting royalties from live. But in Europe, it's you know it's pretty it can be pretty substantial. Um, so it just it really depends on the PROs and how how they handle it, how they calculate it, and and the relationships with the venues. And you know it's the size of the tour at the end of the day. Okay. So, so if the, you have the a PRO huge... in order to pay the publishers or the songwriters, yes. you need to get the money from somewhere because directly from yes. that concert, though, doesn't it yes. all come ultimately from the ticket sales? So it's go yeah, it'll come from the venue. Um, it may not be. You know, and it will depend on the venue, too. I mean, I've seen a lot of uh, venue contracts. I haven't seen any for, like, Madison Square Garden because I've never worked with an artist who has been a headliner at Madison Square Garden. (laughs) But, um, you know, there are so many fees and pieces kind of taken out of the uh, performer's pie when it comes to a venue mm-hmm. that undoubtedly there is a percentage that they take out that's meant for those okay. songwriter royalties. Okay. But it's going to depend on the size of the venue and and, um, and their relationship with the PRO, again, like what they've negotiated and um, and where they are and all sorts okay. of things. But it's not, a, it's not like 1% of ticket sales on any given night is going to the songwriter. It's it's going to depend on, you know, the PRO and, and other things. Sure. I mean, it's kind of like saying my kids go to public school for free. I mean, right. at some point exactly. I, I am paying for it for my taxes. Exactly. You know, it's okay. <laughs> it's just more complex math than if you were writing a check to a private school every sure. month. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> All right. So these live performances, you said those do have the potential to be much more lucrative for the actual performer. As opposed to the songwriter. So what are all these performers doing now during quarantine when they can't perform? Well, there have been quite a few successful live streams. Um, You know, there are there are a number of ways to do that, um, you know, from like Twitch or Bandcamp to other kind of more uh, bespoke platforms that Uh are built around working with like much bigger artists who have, you know, want a kind of bigger quote unquote stage show yeah. um, set up. I, I watched Nick Cave did a really beautiful 
um, a really beautiful solo piano live stream concert at Alexander Palace that was later released as an LP that was, I think, one of the my favorites that I've seen just because it was so kind of beautifully... Uh, not choreographed, but like the, the art direction was very beautiful, which mm. is what you'd expect from someone like him. Um, so, so those are opportunities. Uh, people can sell merch, um, but it hasn't, it's very hard. I mean, that's the problem. Like, uh-huh. you know, and, and with streaming becoming the primary mode of music consumption, there is less, less revenue from, for, for master recordings in general and for individual artists specifically. Because okay. if you're, you know, you're a huge label and you've got 5,000, 10,000, 100,000 songs, right, in your, in your catalog, streaming is going to be advantage to you because you're going to, you know, receive the aggregate. You're going to receive part of the aggregate. But if you're an artist and you've got 50 songs, mm-hmm. you can see how streaming and the kind of attention you know, the attention suck economy where it's always kind of trying to take you to yeah. other places um, is, is likely to be less advantageous to you. I do, mm-hmm. I do think that like, you know, there have been efforts to support performing artists. You know, there was obviously the big bill that was just passed in the mm-hmm. US. The UK has, has been supporting artists and venues and, and other countries as well. We've got Bandcamp Fridays. We've got other organizations trying to, you know, support artists with streams with uh-huh. with different ways of kind of you know buying uh, merch buying tickets mm-hmm. and supporting them but it's it's it there isn't a great outcome in this past year past 10 months whatever it's been now uh have performing artists been more likely to take on say ads and and mm. like, I'm going to be the voice of Verizon or you know whatever it is because they don't have the potential to perform and earn that income stream through concerts anymore. You know, that's likely, but one thing I will tell you for sure, artists are a lot more likely right now to sell their publishing um, ah. and their masters. So do you think that had a uh, role to play the quarantine in oh, Bob Dylan's big huge I mean, I mean, he's probably big enough. He doesn't. It doesn't really affect him that much. You know, I I actually read that it's a change to the tax law that I think he anticipated that the capital gains on selling his catalog would be much higher starting this year. That's a rumor. Okay, so and, 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 and let's just ex- if <laughs> listeners aren't sure what we're talking about, was it December? Just this past yeah, December that just, Bob Dylan sold announced. his catalog of yeah. over six hundred songs to. Universal Music for around $300 million. Something like that. So when something like that happens, Universal now will collect fees anytime Mm -hmm. his songs are sold, like those publishing fees, right? Absolutely. Yeah, they're getting the mechanicals for streams, for physical product, anytime it's on the radio, anytime it's licensed. But, you know, we just saw that Neil Young sold 50% of the interest in his catalog. And Mm. um, there's a company called Hypnosis, which are are really in the business of, of buying catalogs. And you see their activity, and it's very clear that it is for sure um, a buyer's market right now. And I've even mm. talked to artists who are usually really big on live and not as concerned with the publishing and the songwriting stuff who are like, we actually, you know, we want to, we want to try to get a publishing advance. Um, you know, we want to do more work for film. We want to do more work for, for, uh, ads, like you said, uh-huh. because we need this additional income stream. And I think a lot of people are, are looking at it like, 
you know, we were banking on live being our mm-hmm. bread and butter every mm-hmm. year. Yeah. Um, and, and now they're realizing maybe we need to diversify, which is, you know, very hard because, you know, being a, a live performing artist, you're making an album every couple of years, which is intensive and mm-hmm. you're on the road for several hundred days a year or, or even just a couple months. That's, that takes a lot out of you. And when you have to also deal with all these other, you know, revenue streams and composing for yeah. film and doing all these other things that it, it can be quite taxing. Sure. Well, we talked about the recording stream of the record label paying mm-hmm. the artist or the band to record the album in the first place. We talked yeah. about the rev- revenue stream of live performances and concerts. A third revenue stream is the performer does get paid for having their performances played on the radio or streamed on Spotify. I know mm-hmm. in our last conversation in episode 56, you were, I, I was really shocked by how much the publisher get the songwriter gets. Talk to us about what piece of the pie the actual performing artist gets for songs that are streamed. So for streaming royalties, uh, where it's an on-demand stream, like like a Spotify or an Apple Music, it's a little bit different than streaming radio, like Pandora, mm. where it's not on-demand. Those, okay. are, those are different royalty structures. Sure. But for a straightforward on-demand stream, you want to listen to Weezer, you click on their, on their song. Sure. Um, the majority of the revenue does go to the master owner. So that's going to be the record label. And then that's going to pass along to the artist. Um, So there is, there is a percentage that goes to the songwriters, but it is, you know, the majority of the record label in the same way that if you buy a, you know, a vinyl LP at the record store for $20, the majority of that wholesale price is going to the master owner. And just that small amount of mechanical royalties um, which is based on the number of songs and the statutory rate uh, for mechanical royalties, which is set by the copyright board. Just that small amount is going to the to the songwriter. Mm. But um, so for a stream, again, it's it's majority to the master owner. And now with radio, uh, that's where things are are pretty interesting because in the U.S., broadcast radio play does not earn a master side royalty. So if your song is on Hot ninety seven. Um, which probably will be soon. Um, there, there is a royalty for the songwriter, but there is not a royalty to the master owner. And um, there are, you know, I'm sure there is a, a party line of why that happened, but huh. you know, it's it's likely radio is promotion, right? Um, it actually costs sure. a lot of money to get a song on the radio. Oh, interesting. Um, <laughs> and when you talk about the master owner, that is a label, unless some artist has their own label absolutely does does taylor swift have her own label she does i mean it's it's a a lot of like superstar like their own labels are you know other labels kind of taking care of all the work for them and they just probably get more of the money right oh okay so she's not like they're like making a marketing plan okay i mean she might be Okay. Taylor of all people might be, but <laughs> there are definitely there are many different levels of like artist owned labels where it's like there's an artist and they're packing up their their mail orders and then there's also like you're a superstar and you have your own imprint of a major or or something like that. So, sure. Okay. Now another re- revenue stream I'm sure is sales of music, whether it's sure. CDs. Um, digital sales, LPs, whatever. So I imagine that's sort of structured similarly where there's a portion that goes to the master owner, portion yes. for the songwriter, portion for the performer. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, it's 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 pretty much, it all goes to the master owner and then it, it depends on that master owner's deal with the performing artist, oh. right? So it's, okay. if I buy a Weezer LP, 
Um, and I'm buying it, you know, at a retail store. I'm not buying it from a secondary market or mm-hmm. something like that. I'll pay, say, $20. Wholesale is, you know, going to be like $13, maybe $15. Um, so, you know, the store keeps that first big chunk and then the rest goes to the label. Okay. I I love the diagram that you sent to me. Is that something that I can include in the show notes? Oh, yeah, the, the, absolutely. And this, I'm talking about the graphic, the U.S. Music Streaming Royalties Explained. It's a graphic and it's Oh, great yeah, that, for- comes from, that comes from Manat and, and they're great. Their information is fantastic. I, you could definitely, I would link that for sure. Okay. And what is Manat? They're a law firm. Oh, okay. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I'll- They do a lot with entertainment, intellectual property and stuff and they're, they're, they have a lot of resources that they okay. offer out. Well, I'll go ahead and link to that in the show notes because that is really helpful for those of us who aren't in the business to get (laughs) at least some idea of how this all uh, divides out with that that piece of the pie. Well, I thought it was interesting to see which popular artists now do tend to write a lot of their own songs. Ed Sheeran Mm -hmm. was on the list, Taylor Swift, Lady Gaga, John Muir. Uh, Sam Smith, Megan Trainer. So it was really interesting to see uh, a little bit of that. Well, if publishing royalties refer to when and how the songwriter is paid, is there a term that refers to when and how the performing artist is paid? So, I mean, not really, because we've got the master side royalty, but that's really whoever owns the master. Sure. Um, with publishing, it's whoever controls the publishing rights. So I think it's comparable, you know, because okay. with publishing, you can have a publishing deal, you can sell your catalog. Like, for example, the Bob Dylan sale, it's like Universal yep. is now the rights holder yep. uh, and will receive the publishing money for that catalog. So um, so it's, it's, it's pretty comparable, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, fascinating to hear a little bit more about what goes on behind the curtain and how the sausage is made when it comes to divvying up all the, the money that gets thrown around for some of the big name artists. Well, well and they're going to have such huge teams too. Sure. So there's going to be so many, like they're going to take their piece of the pie and then mm-hmm. they're going to have, you know, a dozen people who get little sub pieces of that pie piece. So sure, definitely sure. complex. Well, I'll recommend to any listeners who have an interest in understanding more, I recommend that you go to SongTrust's website because they do have an excellent glossary of music publishing terms. That's very helpful. And if any listeners are creators, not just songwriters or performers, but producers, managers, labels, SongTrust works with all people who have Mm -hmm. access to royalties through music creation and offers kind of one-stop shopping. Check out their website. They also have uh, SongTrust. You guys do a great job with education. Tell us about, just real quick, about some of the different offerings that you have for education. Oh, yeah. I mean, our website is is chock full of educational resources. And uh, we have a, a PDF download called the Modern Guide to Music Publishing. And it's all free. That is basically a soup to nuts kind of a look at music publishing from the very, you know, the early stuff, right? The master versus the publisher and um, goes into some of the international picture and and why it's even more complex than than I have let on. Um <laughs> Just to just to keep things interesting. And and we have a ton of articles in our help center. We also have a blog that deals with, you know, general music publishing topics. And the reason we have so many educational resources is because, you know, it's filling a gap in what's available for so long. uh, Music publishing and songwriter rights have been 
you know, really hard for people to parse, for people to understand. And we really want to open the doors so that people can understand, okay, well, here are my rights and here's what I need to cover. And, you know, we have a, a resource called the royalty checklist that's basically like, okay, well, you need to, you need to set up these four things um, when you've got a song. But yeah, it's like, you get those set up and you know you're at least covered for that and you can go do the hard part, which is, you know, touring, marketing, writing songs. <laughs> the, the fun, the creative stuff. The fun part, but also <laughs> the, but also the hardest part. Else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you, Anna, are already familiar with the coda ending of these episodes where we close out our conversation with a musical ending. Do you have another song or story that you can share with us to close out this episode of uh, about a moment that music enhanced your life? So this is a, a pretty serious life enhancement. Um, so there's a band from New York called Parquet Courts who are probably my favorite contemporary rock band, and they have been for a long time. I used to work at a company called eMusic, which was a digital download store. And um, one of my coworkers, who was the head of editorial there, said, I think you'll like this. He sent me the record. I, w I became obsessed with it, and then we started texting and eye chatting you know jokes about the lyrics you know references about the band so this he, person introduced you to this band he introduced me to the band they were pretty okay. new okay e music did the first ever editorial feature about them mm. and um you know we we learned through our shared love of parquet courts that we liked other things in common we eventually uh parquet courts played i think it was cmj uh we went together as colleagues Mm -hmm. And um, long story short, we're now married and have been for five years. <laughs> oh, well, you're right. That is serious life enhancement. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very powerful life enhancement. And um, and yeah, and I, I ended up later working with Parquet Courts when I was the USGM for Rough Trade, and they are, you know, still one of my favorite bands and, and wonderful to work with. Thanks so much to Anna for delving into the complicated and fascinating world of royalties with us again. As always, there are links in the show notes to all of the resources we discussed. Every time I look at a record album or CD or ticket stub, hopefully we'll see those again before long, I will definitely have a whole new appreciation for what goes into divvying up the revenue from each of those sales or events. On last week's episode, guest Austin Pantsner and I discussed holistic health, wellness, and musicianship. We also discussed the similarities between musicians and athletes and strategies to heal and prevent injuries. About 14 years ago, I had severe golfer's elbow and tennis elbow. It was a piano playing injury. It was seriously affecting my ability to play the piano and scoop ice cream and shake hands. <laughs> if you've experienced this yourself, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I did find a tool several years ago that has been incredibly effective for me in healing and also preventing repetitive use injuries. I use this tool every day and I have for years now to prevent problems and because it feels so good. It's a self-massager called the Rollflex Pro. I use it mainly on my arms from the wrist through the forearms, the elbow area, upper arm, all the way up to the shoulders. Uh, and also on my traps and the neck shoulder area, those tend to be my problem spots. But it can be used on pretty much any body part because of how it's designed. It's super easy to control the pressure. I highly recommend it. I'll include a link in the show notes and also a photo of my Rollflex Pro in my workout area in my basement. <laughs> 
Full disclosure, I did sign up as an affiliate a couple months ago with Rollflex Pro, so we'll receive a small commission at no extra cost to you if you purchase through my link. The Rollflex is eligible for reimbursement from flexible spending accounts and HSAs. It's also eligible for medical insurance reimbursement under certain situations. More information is on the Rollflex website. The Rollflex Pro can also be a great Valentine's gift idea for that person who is really hard to buy for. (laughs) Or buy it for yourself and treat yourself to some self-care for Valentine's Day. If you'd like more gift ideas for Valentine's Day, I will put a link in the show notes to episode 71, an episode on research-based ways to gift music, which is the gift that keeps on giving. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next week, may your life be enhanced with music. This is Bob Bender, host of the Business Side of Music podcast. Check out our show where we talk about all things related to the music industry. We laugh, we share memories, we discuss what's worked and what didn't work. Our industry is always evolving and can never be locked inside a box. From the rookie fresh off the bus to the well-seasoned professional wondering which new direction to take their career, our show covers all the bases. Join us as we chase this elusive animal we like to call the music industry. Check us out at businesssideofmusic.com.